How's it going, guys? Welcome to episode two of Eclectic Athlete Radio. Again, I am your host, Jules DeMay. And today we're going to be talking about an issue that can be quite controversial in the nutrition space. Do calories matter? Yes or no? Now, there's a lot of information and misinformation on this topic out there. So my goal is to get you guys to open your mind because for the longest time, people accept something for a fact and that that's all there is to it. No one wants to question anything, which can lead you down you know, a road of frustration when that quote-unquote fact doesn't actually help you out. So today we're going to be talking about different factors that can affect weight loss, performance, and body composition. Now when it comes to calories, people are usually in two different camps. Either calories are the only thing that matters, that's all you have to do, or calories don't matter, you just have to eat intuitively. And I've even heard people go as far as saying that calories don't exist. They're just made up. Well, guess what? Everything's made up. Okay, that's that's what words are. They, we define a certain object or concept by an arbitrary name. Anyway, personally, I don't believe that this concept is black or white. There's definitely a lot of gray area in the middle, and that's what we're going to talk about today. So first, we're going to talk about what a calorie actually is. And it's just a unit of measurement. That's all it is. Food that we eat has specific caloric values, which are dictated by the macronutrients. Now, macronutrients are proteins, carbs, and fats. Proteins and carbs have four calories per gram, and fats have nine calories per gram. So then came that the concept of Calories in versus calories out. And this is kind of the established theory or concept surrounding fat loss or weight loss. This idea that if you consume more calories than your body needs, you will gain weight. And if you eat the same amount, you won't gain any weight. If you eat less, then you will lose weight. And it makes sense. It actually, you know, it does work. The problem is that there's so much that goes into each of these that it's, again, it's not very black and white. So let's start with calories out. This value is how much energy your body expends throughout the day. Okay, How many calories do you burn in one day? This, this We have a name for it. It's called Total Daily Energy Expenditure, or TDEE. Okay? Now, this is made up of several different sub-factors. Factor number one, your metabolic rate or your basal metabolic rate, also known as your BMR. This is the energy that you expend from basically doing nothing. If you were to lay in bed all day, this is how many calories you would burn. Your body's made up of trillions of cells and processes going on at all times. You know, your organs need upkeep different different uh, energy requirements throughout your entire body. So this is the energy required to keep all those going. By the way, if you want to increase your BMR, lift weights. Your lean body mass is directly correlated to your metabolic rate. So everyone that's saying, I don't want to get bulky, but I want to lose weight, 
Um, trust me, it takes years and years to get bulky, and you have to eat a lot to get bulky. So it's not as easy as it sounds, but you will have tremendous benefits from increasing um, your lean mass. Your metabolic will, rate will go up, meaning you can eat more. Now, factor number two, physical activity. Whether you like to go to yoga or do a spin class or lift weights, the important thing is that you move and you exercise, and this factors into your calorie output for the day. Factor number three, neat, non-exercise activity thermogenesis. This is the energy that you expend from anything not specifically exercise, but still movement related. So if you're going to go to the kitchen, put something in a microwave, or you're rolling out of bed and getting up for the day, this is the calories that you burn doing that. And last but not least, we have the thermic effect of food. Now, this is an interesting one. This is the concept that certain foods, or all foods, take energy to actually digest. What that means is certain foods require more energy and some require less. For example, proteins, fats, certain vegetables that are you know rich in fiber take more energy to break down than something, for example, let's say pasta or white rice, right? These foods digest pretty quickly, so they don't take as much energy. So certain foods have a high TEF, thermic effect of food, some have a lower one. Now, these are the different factors that go into calorie output for the day. How about the other side of things, calories in? So how much are you eating throughout the day? Pretty simple. So now we have both sides of the equation, calories in and calories out. If you have more calories in than calories out, then you will gain weight. If you have more calories out than calories in, you will lose weight. That's the theory, at least. Now, the interesting thing is that, you know, it works in theory, and at least in the short term. But what about the long term, right? If you're cutting calories, let's say 100 calories a week, and then 200 calories a week, and you're losing weight, eventually, you're going to stall out, right? We've all been there, eating what you used to eat and it's not working anymore. So what do you do? You cut calories again and you lose more weight and then you stall out. Well, at certain points, you're, again, you're not going to be able to cut, you know, your calories to zero. You have to eat something. So what do you do, right? Calories in, calories out only works for a certain amount of times. What happens is that your BMR, your basal metabolic rate will actually decrease, it will decrease over time with calorie restriction. Not only that, your NEAT or your non-exercise um, activity thermogenesis will also decrease. When you decrease calories, I don't know if it's a subconscious thing or a, by you know evolutionary thing, you will actually move less. And well, if you're cutting calories, uh, if you've ever been deprived of food, you probably don't want to exercise or you won't exercise as hard. You're gonna hit that bonk a lot sooner. So all these things are also going down. That means even though your calories in is going down, your calories out will also go down. And that's just the first issue. The second issue is with a bunch of other different factors. Um, the first one, let's talk about macronutrients, okay? Proteins, carbs, fats. Um, this has been you know, a great way to know how much you're actually consuming. Um, you can track your macronutrients by breaking down what foods um, consist of what macronutrients. So for example, let's say you want to eat pizza. 
Um, you can break it down and say, okay, this pizza has five grams of protein, um, a hundred grams of carbs and, uh, 50 grams of fat, right? And if you know how much you can take in or your calories, your, your, your basal metabolic rate, you can calculate how many calories you can consume in that day. And this has led to this movement called uh, IIFYM, or if it fits your macros. And again, this whole concept of if you calculate your macronutrient needs, you'll know how many calories you need, and thus you can eat whatever foods you want and still lose weight. And, you know, this kind of, you know, it's, it's raised some flags for me just because a lot of times people are eating junk just because you can technically still lose weight, right? People are eating Oreos and donuts and all this crap and saying, hey, I can lose weight by eating this junk. All you need to do is track your macros. And, you know, these people are just missing the point entirely. You can be healthy and not be in single digit you know, body fat percentages. And on the alternate side of things, you can be very unhealthy and have single digit um, body fat percentages. You know, we see these um, bodybuilders and physique competitors and, you know, I'm not uh, trying to trash on them. I've actually competed in a physique competition. Um, It wasn't for me, but it was a great experience. But a lot of people don't do it correctly and they that can really mess with your metabolism moving forward, right? These people cut their calories for such a long period of time that when they try to eat normally, now they gain all this weight, um, their metabolism is thrashed. Um, it's just, it leads to a host of different problems. Um, which brings me to issue number two, um, hormones. And this is a big one. Um, again, people say, right? Hormones don't have too big of an effect. As long as you equate your calories, you'll be fine. Well, I would argue that, you know, hormones have a huge effect, right? These are, these are chemicals. They travel throughout your blood. They're secreted by different organs. And they're all, you know, interlinked to some extent. They affect one another. Um, two huge hormones that have an effect on weight loss and weight gain, um, at least indirectly, are ghrelin, and leptin. Now these are your hunger hormones. If your leptin is high, that means you are satiated. You're not hungry, you're satisfied. If your ghrelin is high, that means you're going to be really, really hungry. Now, I don't know how many of you have been hungry and gone to the supermarket or, you know, gone to a buffet. Like you want to eat everything in sight, things that you would not normally eat, right? You're trying to stuff down. Um, That's because your ghrelin is high. You can't outsmart your body, right? These hormones are there for a reason and they're telling us, hey, you got to change X, Y, and Z. Now, different foods affect these hormones in different ways. Foods that are high in protein, fiber, fats, they take longer to digest. They stimulate leptin to a higher degree than a food that's high in carbohydrates, um, you know, fruit juice. And, you know, there's a reason why if you eat a steak, you know, you're going to be pretty full. It's hard. You have to chew it a lot. It takes a long time to digest. Whereas if you eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, you're not going to eat just one. You want more. If you eat, you know, one chip, you can never eat just one chip, right? You're going to eat the whole bag or one cookie, right? You're not going to be full. 
these don't stimulate leptin to as high of a degree. Now, dieting can also affect these levels. If you are dieting chronically or for a long period of time, your ghrelin levels are going to you know, rise to a very high degree, um, which leads people to go on these huge binges, right? These not even cheat meals, they go on cheat days, right? And that kind of just is counterintuitive. That ruins your effort throughout the whole week, which is another issue with, again, calories in, calories out. If you're just cutting calories forever and ever, you're just messing with your hormones to the point where you're just setting yourself up for sabotage. So, and those are just two of the hormones. Now we also have insulin, which is a pretty fascinating hormone. Now this hormone, what it does is it takes glucose from your blood and it puts it into different cells. You can store it in your liver, you can store it in your muscles, or you can store it as fat. And people with diabetes have insulin resistance. You can have type 1, which means you don't produce insulin, or type 2, which means the insulin that you produce doesn't carry that glucose as efficiently. Now, type 1 diabetes is largely genetic, but type 2 diabetes, we see people have that onset um, later on in life. Um, And sadly, we're seeing even kids get it nowadays. But again, this is caused by insulin resistance. And what that means is that foods with a high glycemic index, or foods high in carbohydrates, you eat them, they're broken down to glucose, which enter your bloodstream. That high amount of glucose or sugar spikes that insulin release. And when you do it too often, your body basically becomes resistant to it, right? Think of the story of the little girl who cried wolf, right? She cried wolf so often that people stopped believing her. That's kind of what's happening in your body. The insulin is being spiked so often that your body stopped responding to it, which leads you to have elevated blood sugar. And again, that's how diabetes is caused. And again, if we're just taking into account calories, we're not really looking at what those calories are made out of. Um, This goes back to the if it fits your macros. I think it's just, you know, irresponsible to say as long as you eat less than you need, you'll you'll be fine. You can lose weight. Even if that's true, if you're constantly spiking your insulin, that's going to have negative health consequences. If you're eating 2000 calories worth of Oreos and Cheetos and donuts and soda as opposed to 2000 calories worth of high quality protein, high quality fats, vegetables, fruits. That's a huge difference. But again, this whole theory is that, hey, you can eat whatever you want as long as it's, it's the proper calorie amount. And those are just three hormones out of many that regulate your body. You also have cortisol. This is a stress hormone. And if your cortisol levels are high, that breaks down your muscle, which again drops your lean body mass, which again drops your basal metabolic rate, and uh, your cortisol levels, again, if they're high, they put you in a state of fight or flight. That means that your body does not want to let go of that fat. Um, It's in survival mode. It has other things to worry about. It thinks a bear is chasing it. And we also have T3 and T4. These are our thyroid hormones which control our metabolism. These are controlled by our thyroid gland, which is controlled by our 
pituitary gland, which is controlled by the hypothalamus. Now, you don't need to know the technical names of all these different glands, but my point being, again, all these different hormones interact with each other. They regulate each other. They're crucial for various different things in our body. And again, if we're not talking about what the calories are made out of, we're completely neglecting their effect on hormones. Now, the next topic I want to talk about is the gut microbiome. And the gut microbiome, it largely resides in your small intestine, a little bit in the large intestine, but these are, it's an ecosystem of bacteria, hundreds of trillions of bacteria that live in our stomach, and they control and regulate so many different functions in our body. Um, This is, I mean, I'm nerding out about it, but I've been reading so much about the gut microbiome. I believe in the next, you know, 10 years, hopefully sooner, um, find different research will be done and these findings will come to light to help people out with things like anxiety, depression, obesity, chronic illness. Um, So many things are tied to the gut microbiome, but we know very little about it right now. But what we do know is that these bacteria, since they live in our gut, they control our digestion. And I mentioned already that we have a thermic effect of food, which means we extract energy from food or certain food requires more energy to digest. Now, one thing I I recently read actually was there are two different types of bacteria, uh, Bacteroidetes and Firmicutes. Um, Feel free to look those up. And what these bacteria do is they actually extract different amounts of energy from food. So Bacteroidetes will actually extract less energy from food, and Firmicutes will extract more energy from food. And what that means is if you have two people who eat the exact same meal and everything else is in alignment, right? They have the same caloric output for the day, um, they're eating the same amount, and they, they take two meals, one person that has more firmicutes will gain more, um, they'll absorb more calories from that meal than the other person if the other person had more bacteroidetes in their stomach. And I mean, if that doesn't go to show you that even the calories in portion of that equation is you know a little nebulous, I mean, I don't know what else to say. Um, the bacteria has a tremendous effect on so many different things. Um, And again, so much research is coming out now. Um, That's not to say that, you know, one bacteria is better than the other. Um, I believe it depends on where you live, what is your ancestry like, um, what is your environment like, because that's also going to affect your bacteria and your gut microbiome. Now, two different people, for example, let's take someone from America. If you put them on the same diet as someone from Africa, um, that might not be good for them, and vice versa, right? We have different um, interactions in our gut with these different bacteria, so there's not just one good strain of bacteria. Um, it's more likely that these bacteria were, you know, they evolved alongside us, and they evolved in a way to benefit us in times of famine or starvation. So. For example, if someone didn't have access to food for a long period of time, it would be more beneficial to have vermicutes in their stomach. 
as opposed to bacteroidetes. But anyway, that's down a rabbit hole. Again, uh, I'll probably be doing a podcast um, on the gut microbiome with the more that I learn about it. But again, that just goes to show you, you know, this is a very, you know, delicate topic. Now, that's just calorie absorption from these bacteria. We haven't even talked about how they deal with these different illnesses and chronic illnesses, right? If you have someone with gluten intolerance or celiac disease, that's largely because of the interaction in their gut. Um, there's something called leaky gut, where um, something called the intestinal villi in your stomach, um, they have spaces in between them, so this food, um, food particles get into your bloodstream. And when that happens, your, your body essentially will attack those food particles that causes inflammation, um, all these negative um, consequences. And the last topic will be genetics, genetics and epigenetics. So epigenetics just means the effect of the environment on your genetics. Uh, both of these are very, you know, closely linked. Um, and, you know, they have different effects on how we digest food, um, how we react to certain foods, um, and how we metabolize foods. So, for example, you know, we have um, this rise in popularity of these different diets, right? Keto and paleo, um, whatever new diet is, is trending, right? And keto is a high-fat diet. Now, you might have seen someone lose a lot of weight on it. And the thing with a lot of these diets, people lose weight because they just cut out junk. I think largely that's, that's why people see results, right? On keto, you can't have carbs. So that means you can't have, you know, fruit juice or soda. That means you can't have pizza, really. Um, those are really calorie-dense foods. So by cutting them out, by default, you're going to cut calories, which is going to result in weight loss, at least in the short term. Again, if they're not sustainable for a long period of time or if you cut calories for too long, that's, that can have, you know, negative health consequences. Now, I do think keto has some health uh, benefits, um, they have seen benefits for those who are diabetic, those with epilepsy, but those are, you know, general health benefits, um, and it might not be ideal for everyone. Um, back to the genetics, you know, we have different genes that metabolize fat. So we have the APOA2 gene, which um, is linked to saturated fat metabolism. And someone with this gene might not be as satiated with um, your saturated fat intake. So if you have, let's say, avocados or, um, you know, something coconut or uh, a type of meat that has a lot of saturated fat. By the way, I don't think saturated fat is bad. But let's say someone is eating that with that gene. They might not be satiated, so they might overconsume it. And again, that goes back to, that's where I think calories in, calories out does shine a little bit. Right, you can't just hop on any of these diets and say, okay, they're healthy foods, so I'm going to lose weight no matter what. No, you can still eat too much healthy food, um, especially these foods that are higher in fat. Again, fat has nine calories per gram. So if you're eating avocados all day or walnuts all day, these are really healthy foods, but they're also very calorie dense. So you can't just have it both ways. My whole thing is you got to look at all sides. You have to take a holistic view. Again, it's not black or white. 
there is a gray area and you can have the best of both worlds. The key really, it might not be the answer you're looking for, but it's moderation. If there's someone that tells you this is the only way and everything this other person says is wrong, well, most likely they're trying to sell you something or they're wrong. So my goal always is to educate you so that you know what's right and what's wrong for you. I want to present to you the research, present to you information that many people don't look at. I want you to be open-minded to all these different factors. And I don't want you to just believe me, believe everything I say. I want you to do your own research. I want you to question what I say and find out for yourself. It's going to take experimentation. It might take some work, but I want to take some of that work out of it for you. I want to help you, guide you. And that's what this podcast is all about. So thanks again for listening, guys. Stay tuned for the next uh, bottom line. Do calories matter? Yes, 100%. They do, but they're not the end-all, be-all. There's many. So thanks again for listening, guys. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Feel free to subscribe, share it, leave a review if you can. I appreciate it so much. And we'll see you next week.